Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we continue our study in Ephesians, I just pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds to your wonderful truth this morning. That through the indwelling of your spirit, that you would continue to sanctify us, that we might take your word and apply it to our everyday life and living. In Jesus' name, amen. Our focal passage this morning is found in Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10, as we continue our study of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And as has been my habit as we've gone through chapter 1, let me remind you that we are looking at the work of the Trinity as it relates to our salvation. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, which we have already studied, deals with the plan of the Father. The Father chooses us before the foundation of the world as believers. Ephesians 1, 7 through 12, which we find ourselves this morning, is the work of Christ. And last week, we studied that Christ redeems those that the Father has chosen through His work. Verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, He purchased us with His blood. He was our substitute. He took the wrath that was meant for you and me upon Himself And he paid the price for us as an acceptable offering. And this leads us to our focal passage this morning. I'm going to read 7 through 10 of Ephesians 1. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are which are on earth in him. So as we look at the end of verse 7, it says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. If I were to ask you this morning to give me the definition of grace, more than likely a lot of responses would be unmerited favor. That, that that is the definition of grace. And it's true. Grace is unmerited favor. However, grace is so much more. And I want to spend our time this morning looking at this particular scripture and how grace is defined. 
It's a, it's a more broad definition, if you will. Some people look at grace and it's just related to their sin. That's all it is. Grace gives me the forgiveness of sin. And it stops right there. They don't look at anything else that grace does for them. And God could have left us in the dark about his spiritual plan and purpose. And grace could be isolated just to the forgiveness of sin. But it's so much more. And it reminds me of the words of Jesus in the 15th chapter of John. If you'll turn there with me in your Bibles to John 15. These are the words of Christ. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So here in John 15, we see through the words of Christ that we know the plan of the Father. Now, keeping that in mind, Let's go to our focal passage again this morning, and we're going to look at 7 and 8 together, and I'm going to show you a couple of different translations on top of that. This is the New King James Version. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace, which He made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. In the Christian standard version, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. The English Standard Version says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. In other words, when you look at that verse combined, grace just isn't the forgiveness of sin. He has given us wisdom. And in fact, in these verses, you'll see that there are two words to describe this. The New King James Version says wisdom and prudence. The Christian standard says wisdom and understanding. The ESV says wisdom and insight. Now we could just kind of gloss over that. And we could say, well, it's about wisdom. He just used two different words. But that's not the case. When we look at these two words, they have different meanings. And in fact, Honer in his commentary on Ephesians translates the original language to mean insight and discretion. Insight and discretion. Have you ever met someone that 
had a lot of book knowledge, but they couldn't find the light switch. We know people like that, don't we? That they're incredibly intelligent. We call that book smart, right? That they have a lot of book smart, but they don't have any common sense whatsoever. What we're talking about here is, is when you think about insight, indiscretion, or wisdom and understanding, it also could mean wisdom and discretion. In other words, we have the knowledge in our head. God, through his grace, gives us knowledge. He gives us wisdom. But in addition to that, we take that wisdom. And we apply it in our daily life. That's where the discretion comes in. That we take the wisdom, we take the book smart, and we apply it in how we live our life. It reminds me of James 1. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible because I like the translation in this. In verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But... The one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. This is what Paul is talking about. God lavished his grace on us in such a way that the grace isn't just limited to the forgiveness of sin. In grace, he gave us his wisdom and the ability to understand his wisdom and apply it to our everyday life. That's why this is so important. We don't believe in a Christianity that is limited to theory. Christianity is not a theory. Christianity is something that we have in our life and it, it affects every aspect of our life. It affects how we deal with our family, how we deal with work. How we have a world view. So many times people make the mistake in their Christianity. They want to compartmentalize it. It's compartmentalized to Sunday. It's compartmentalized to Wednesday. And that's it. And you go and you come to worship and you sing songs and you read the Bible and then you leave And it's just like in James 1, you forget. You forget. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is when we have been given the wisdom of God. 
and we apply that wisdom of God in discretion in how we interact with the world, in how we have a Christian world view. But so many times that view of Christianity stops at the church house door. That's not what Christianity's meant for. It's meant for us to apply the things of God. How does he give us this wisdom and discretion? Look back at our focal passage. Verse 7, it says, According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. We receive the wisdom and the discretion to live our life according to the things of God by first encountering the mystery of his will. Well, what's the mystery of his will? It's Christ. It's the purpose of Christ. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the resurrection. We understand this. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who don't believe. But that's our first encounter. Think about this. This is your first encounter with God. Is when God reveals to you the mystery of his will. When he reveals to you the power of the cross in his resurrection. When we see that. When we understand that, then we move beyond that initial contact of the mystery of his will. And through his grace, he gives us wisdom and discretion to live a holy life. It's not just, hey, I've got forgiveness of sin. That's why when you think about the words of Christ and John, he's... He tells us that if we are his followers, that we are going to bear fruit. If we are of him, if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. Why? It's just not the knowledge of the cross. But through his grace, he lavished upon us wisdom and understanding. And it's not out of might. It's not out of power. It's not out of logic. It's not out of our will. It's a gift. Let me remind you that in Ephesians 2.8, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Our faith is a gift. The moment that you recognize that Jesus Christ gave his life for you on the cross, that he took the wrath that was meant for you, and through that he overcame and he rose from the grave. The moment that you comprehend that in a personal way, that that is for you, the moment that that happens, that was God's gift. That was a gift. You and I could go out this morning and we could door knock and we could present the gospel. Most people are going to refuse. 
and you might have somebody that says, yes, I believe that. That's not happenstance. That's not your persuasive skills. That is a gift. Their faith is a gift of God. All of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ, the very acceptance of the mystery of his will, understanding the cross in the empty tomb, understanding all of that, and embracing that in our life in a personal way so that we would have a relationship with God, that is a gift. I can't brag about it. I can't pat myself on the back about it. It's a gift. Understanding the mystery of His will. Have you ever encountered someone who has been witnessed to, witnessed to, witnessed to, never accepted, never accepted, and there one day something happens? I've told this story before. Kathy's granddad, son of a preacher man, rejected, 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 rejected. There at the end of his life, Kathy said, I've got to go tell my granddad about Jesus Christ. We went in the hospital. Kathy witnessed to him. He accepted Jesus Christ. Later, he looked at my father-in-law and he said, I feel like this burden has been taken away from me. He never had the gift before. He received the gift. The gift of faith to where when the cross And Jesus, in the empty tomb, was presented. He said, that is for me. I want it. That is a gift. That is a gift for him. It was a gift for you and me. It wasn't because we were smart. It's not because we could figure it out. God, in his graciousness, gave us the gift of faith. I think that this is highlighted there along in the same vein. I think that this is highlighted in the Bible in a special way when we think about James and Jude, half-brother of Jesus. Think about it. James and Jude lived in the same household of Jesus, their older half-brother. And originally they rejected him as Messiah. And in fact, if you look at John chapter 7, starting in verse 1, it reads, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then in verse 5 it says, For even his brothers did not believe him. They were unbelievers. And here that's recording in the Gospel of John. But yet when you go to Acts 1, post-resurrection, who's in the upper room? James and Jude. They knew Jesus. They knew him their whole life. But they had not received the gift until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then when you look and you see how they open their epistles. Jude 1, it, Jude said, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. 
to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. James opened up his in James 1.1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. They both knew Christ. They lived with Christ. They were his half-brothers. But yet, they never would accept until after the resurrection, God gave them the gift, the gift of faith. To me, this encourages my faith. When you think about the power of faith, to have your two half-brothers say, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You know how hard that would be in a familial relationship? I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Why were they able to write that? Because they knew him as Savior, and that was through faith. We receive his wisdom and are able to use it in discretion. We receive it through first coming to a saving knowledge through the mystery of his will, as we understand Jesus and the work of Christ. What's the goal? That leads us to the goal. Look back at our focal passage. I'm going to read from verse 8. Which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, I want to put a timeline on this. And of course, when we read those verses, we know that that's referring to end times, right? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. That's end times. But I want to expand the timeline. Now, if we think about... Ephesians 1, we already looked at the plan of the Father. The plan of the Father was that he chose believers before the foundation of the world. And we know that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that that happened before time began. We know that. That's scriptural. And we could look at this within the context of, yes, that's at the end of time. But the reason why I want to expand the timeline is I think it has a special impact on us as believers. If you look at the plan of the Father before the foundation of the world, and then when do you see when do you see the first prophetic word of Christ? You see it in Genesis, right? You see it in Genesis as he deals with Adam and Eve. You see that first prophecy. And then all throughout the Old Testament, people say, I'm a New Testament Christian. That's ridiculous. You got to understand the Old Testament. To understand the New Testament, you have to look at it in light of the Old Testament. When you look at that, I have my first prophecy of Christ in Genesis at the fall. And then as I progress through the Old Testament, we continually see the prophetic word of Christ. 
all throughout history. Of course, we all know that this wasn't written all at once. This was written over centuries by different people. And you see it in prophecy, you see it in the Psalms, every single book in the Old Testament, you receive the prophetic word of Jesus Christ. And then we move into the New Testament and we see not only Christ in his first coming as we read the Gospels, but we also look at the prophecy that Jesus Christ gave us regarding his second coming. Old Testament Christ, New Testament Christ. Then we look here at our focal passage and it says that he made known to us the mystery of his will, his work. That's, you could say that, the mystery of his will, his work, the cross, the tomb, the church, the establishment of the church, the mystery of his will. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And then let's go to Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, as Christ is the only one that is worthy to open the deed of the earth. Just like you and I have a deed to our house. He's the only one worthy to open up the title deed of the earth. And in Revelation 5, 8, it says, Now when he had taken the scroll, that's the deed. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. The 24 elders, that's us. That's the church. The 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. And having made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, this John's looking in verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now I want to point out a couple of things to that wonderful verse, the verses that we just read. When you look at verse 11... And as John is surveying the landscape, that's what he's doing, right? He says, and I looked and it says the number of them was 10,000s times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. Who is that? That is you and me. That's every believer that's lived from the beginning of time. That's Old Testament saints, that's New Testament saints, that's you and me, that's the whole world. And then when you look at that in the context of Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might, what, gather together in one things all in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. It says it in Ephesians and John gets a glimpse of it in Revelation. It is Christ. The centrality and purpose of time, the centrality and purpose of time is not 
the piddly little things that worry, worry about in life, the purpose of time is Jesus Christ. It has been before time began. It is Christ. And when you and I get our heads wrapped around that, the things of this earth don't seem so problematic or troublesome because we know he's in control. We know that life is about Christ. It's about Christ. And just as Ephesians says, and just as Revelation emphasizes, we'll all be gathered around him. We'll all be gathered around him. I want to point something else out in comparing Ephesians 1 to Revelation. Ephesians 1, 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. The mystery of his will. What's the mystery of his will? We already talked about that. It is his work to redeem us. It's his work. That's what Paul wrote. John, being able to have the word of God given to him and seeing the end of time play out. Keep in mind the mystery of his will. I want you to go back to Revelation 5. And I want you to look at what we will sing to Christ. In verse 9, it says that he gave us a new song. He gave us a new song. I'm going to have a harp, which means that I'm going to probably be able to play it, right? That's a great thing. (laughs) We sing a new song. And in that new song... What do we say to Christ? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for what? For you were slain. Mystery of his will, right? For you were slain, have redeemed us. Redemption, Ephesians 1. Have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And having made us kings and priests our God and we shall reign on earth. It's about Christ. The mystery of His will. And through the mystery of His will, right now as we presently live our life, you and I have been given the wisdom of God that we might exercise it in how we live. Why? Why does He give that to us? Ephesians 1 tells us so that we can glorify Him. In other words, you and I living a righteous and a moral life isn't so we can go around and pat our back and say, man, look at me, I'm, I'm doing so much better than everybody else. That's not the purpose. The purpose is so that we can glorify Christ. That's the purpose. This should be our worldview. This should affect every decision that we make in life. Am I living, am I living out my life according to the wisdom and discretion that he lavished upon me? He didn't say he gave it sparingly, did he? He lavished us. We have it abundantly. And we will have peace and joy and purpose if we exercise that wisdom because we will be glorifying God which is why we have been chosen and why we have been redeemed. Join me in prayer.
Father, we just thank you for your eternal plan in the power of Jesus Christ. And I pray as we leave here that we might put our life within the context of your teaching and truth. I pray, Lord, that we might examine our life and ask ourselves, are we glorifying you? I pray, Lord, that we might live for your glory. I pray if someone's listening that if they've never given their life to you, that they would turn over their life, that they would repent for their sins, that they would confess Christ as Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this church might be used in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.